You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. The text for today's sermon is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be built up in love. We want to know the unity of the faith and the fellowship that we have united to a Savior, united to our King Jesus. We want to understand what that looks like for us, a people, your people, whom you've called and reconciled to yourself. And so, Lord, today I ask that you help us, your people, to learn how to be your people so that we may make much of the name of Jesus, so that we might love you above all else, so that we might love our neighbors as ourselves. Oh, God, would you do it? Oh, Lord, would you do it? We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Good morning. Yes, it's true. I got a haircut. <laughs> all the ladies in the audience are like, oh, wow, I'm so glad that happened. <laughs> it's good to see you all this morning. I feel much lighter up here. So, uh, David Pallison was a man God used to radically change the way I viewed the church. I, um, God saved me in Christ in 1998, and, and, and uh, he, he saved me out of a life where I lived provocatively, provocatively for myself for like 20 years. Um, there's probably more on that. But I'll give you the op opportunity to take me out for coffee or lunch, and we can talk about how God saves sinners together. And I'll let you buy lunch, of course. Um, God saved me in Christ. Um, and and ye for years, I still struggled um, as a sinner and as a sufferer. I went to church, but I didn't, I went to church. I didn't know how to participate in church or even what that looked like. Um, I wasn't discipled. I didn't know how to read the Bible or really pray. Um, I was just uh, a tender going to church. I just knew I believed in Jesus and I needed saving. I, I knew that I was a sinner and I was doomed to hell without Christ. So um, the Lord was gracious to save me, but I still struggled. And in 2005, our life came to a crossroads and the Lord presented me a picture that if I said I was a believer that I couldn't live the way I was living and claimed to be a believer. So in that moment, I, do the, I did the only thing 
um, I knew to do after a series of events in that crisis, and that was read the Bible. It was there in the pages of Scripture that I found Jesus. I saw myself, my need for him. And so I was reading voraciously all the time. Life began changing. I had a different perspective. Things looked different. My life was transformed, and my, wa- my wife was like, I don't know who this person is, but I'm going to wait and see. The Lord was changing me by the reading of the word. He sent a man into my life named Chris who discipled me, and we talked about the Bible. We talked about the scriptures. We read books together. He talked to me about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and how to live for him. And he counseled me from the word, discipling me, helping me grow up in the faith. So fast forward several years. One day I just said, okay, Lord, you can have me. And, and I felt I, I knew I was called to ministry. I knew vocational ministry would be in my future. And later that day, as a matter of fact, I stumbled across this word, biblical counseling. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's a thing? That's what, that's what happened to me. The Bible counseled my soul, and I have been transformed, and, and that's what can happen to other people. The Bible changed me. And so I went back to school. I went to seminary, and wouldn't you know, the first class I had at Southern, my first seminary class, was Intro to Biblical Counseling. The Lord is wonderfully, humorously intentional at times, is he not? Wonderfully intentional he is. And it was in that class, see, this is where I get back to David Pallison. It was in that class that I was assigned to read a book, Speaking the Truth in Love, Counsel and Community. It's by David Pallison. He had a chapter in that book called Counseling is the Church. And in that chapter, he said this, and this radically transformed what I thought the church was supposed to be. Pallison says this, The church, as the Bible defines it, contains an exquisite blending of leadership and mutuality, of specialized roles and general calling, of truth and love, of wisdom for living, and of flexibility to meet the problems that sinners and sufferers face. The people of God, functioning as the people of God, provide the ideal and desirable institution to fix what ails us. That institution can adapt to take on a thousand problems. Soul care and soul cure, sustaining sufferers and transforming sinners, is a vital part of the ministry of the church, according to the Bible. However poorly we may be doing the job. This shocked me. My whole vision of church changed. His argument was the church was the institution appointed by God to help people change. Think about that last sentence. He says, according to the Bible, soul care and soul cure is a vital ministry of the church. Where do you get this idea? Where do you get that idea? The Bible So this morning, I want to let the Bible present some passages that inform this idea. I don't want to speak for you. I don't want to speak for you and put words in your mouth. But I I want to allow you to ponder a couple of questions. I want you to think about them. Would you say that you want to be a part of a church that has the ability to meet the problems sinners and sufferers face? 
Would you say you want to please God by functioning as his people? How would you answer this? What would you say? For a majority of our time today, we'll be walking through Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And this passage so exquisitely presents God's design for the church. Through this section, Paul uses the imagery of the body as well as construction imagery, um, the idea of building it up. Um, it's built up in order to grow. The body has to work properly. The church has to work properly. It has to work together. The body of Christ as the church is made up of individual members who all serve and work together in order to grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ, both individually and corporately. Each of us has been saved, but also each of us has been called to do the work of ministry. Each of us has been called to do the work of ministry, and it's a biblical ministry. Therefore, the goal of our time together this morning is for you to see that in Jesus Christ, God has appointed and created his church to have a culture of counsel and care that makes disciples, equips disciples, strengthens disciples, and, and, and sends disciples so that they can do the work of ministry. That's where we're going today. I want to invite you along into this, okay? So let's look at this first idea that comes out of the text. To help the church function, God gives gifts to the church. To help the church function, God gives gifts to the church. You look at verse 7, it says, He gave the apostles, he gave all those officers, and he gave them, it's, it's tying back to verse 7, but the grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ has given a gift to the church. And verse 11 unfolds what those gifts are. The gifts given by the ascended Christ to his people come in the form of officers to his church. He gave apostles and prophets. The gift of these offices were individual persons um, who laid a foundation for understanding the revelation of God. The office of apostle and prophet was to reveal the mystery of God's plan of redemption. He did this through the Old Testament as the prophets spoke and revealed the will of God to Israel. But the promises were not yet revealed until Christ Jesus came and then gave authority to his apostles to continue the message of Christ, the message of the Messiah, the message of God reconciling people to himself in Christ Jesus. Those are the offices of prophet and apostle. And then evangelist is the next one. Evangelists are another gift to the church. Acts 21 8, we'll, we'll read when we get into Acts in a few months. Um, Philip was called an evangelist. We, we talked about Philip when we, he was introduced to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was called an evangelist. Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist in 2 Timothy 4 5. It's this idea of continuing to preach the gospel, preaching the gospel, being enriched in the gospel. Evangelists are disciple-making preachers of the gospel. They take the gospel into new areas and plant churches. And then we have shepherds and teachers. Shepherds can also be rendered pastors, pastors and teachers. Each of the other offices were listed as separate, but these two are connected. And why is that? Well, here's the reason. The function of both pastors and teachers is to provide the church with the exposition and application of the scriptures. For pastors or elders, being able to teach is a qualifier of their office. Pastors are, are, are supposed to be able to teach the word. They're supposed to be able to handle the word rightly. Um, all pastors teach, 
but not all those gifts given to the church and teachers are pastors. So all pastors teach, but all, not all teachers are pastors. Are you with me? Okay. These specific persons, these gifts are given to the church in order to do something. What are they there in order to do? Well, they're there in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the second idea that comes out of the text. Verse 12, it says, he gave all those things, and then verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Three phrases describe the fruit of what God intends by supplying these ministers. First, they equip the saints. They equip the saints. Now, um, you gamers will know and get this, okay? All the gamers in the audience are with me right now. So here's the idea. So when you're playing a video game and you're progressing through the levels, you can get gear and weapons and all kinds of stuff, and you can equip your character in the video game with new weapons, new armor, right, the acts of epic annihilation and stuff like that, right? It's about equipping. You want to outfit somebody with what they need to do the job. Think about your favorite hockey team, the Nashville Predators. So think about a goalie going into the locker room, getting ready to, for the night's game, and he goes into the locker room, and there is a pair of swim trunks. No helmet, no pads, no glove, no chest protector, no shin guards, none of that stuff. Just a pair of Frankie Avalon-looking swim trunks. That is not a good outfit. It's not a good outfit for a 90-mile-per-hour hockey puck, is it? The Bible tells us that pastors and teachers, all those offices, they're there to equip the saints for the work. We're here to outfit you for the work of ministry. We want to give you the sword of epicness and let you handle it well. Right? Ministers help equip the saints. When we look through the list and consider the specific functions of each, all these offices have a specific word-based ministry. Word-based ministry. As we discussed a moment ago, the prophets and apostles help deliver the word of God to the people. Evangelists proclaim the good news of God's fulfillment of his prom promises in Christ according to the scriptures and help plant churches. And pastors and teachers feed the flock through biblical care and instruction. The Bible is the resource for these ministers the Bible is a resource for these ministers because it provides the foundation for ministry that is complete. That's complete and helps complete God's people because the Bible is God's word. Second Timothy, Paul said this to Timothy. He's instructing him this way. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and fully believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This God-breathed word is designed to equip you for every good work. That's good news, isn't it? So the Bible is saying that you, in your seat right now, you can be equipped for every good work that God has appointed you to do because you have the word of God. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? 
The ministry of the word equips the saints. The saints, God's people, hagios, the called out ones. These holy ones, these who have been separated from the world and, and called and justified and redeemed by God, these ministers prepare an outfit and establish the saints for the work of ministry. So what is this work of ministry? The work of ministry is for building up the body of Christ. There are two ways the church is built as a result of ministerial work. There's an outside way and an inside way. The preaching of the gospel follows the command of Christ to go and make disciples. Um, it leads to outsiders coming to faith. They hear the gospel message, and if God opens their heart, they receive the faith, and they come into faith, and then they come into the church body, and internally, pastors and shepherds, teachers, train them and disciple them on how to live a life pleasing to God. The internal growth happens from the discipleship and care from within the church body. So there's, the church is built by both uh, number, which is external, and strengthened internally. The ministry by leadership in the church and the ministry by the individual members of the body using their gifts for service is intended by God to have a destination. It's not just to be cool. It's for a purpose that God's appointed. And this brings us to the third idea. The, the, the goal is growth in Christ. The goal is growth in Jesus Christ. Verse 13. So, verse 11, he gave these gifts. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal is growth. The goal of growth is for the church to be grown up. To be grown up and mature. Grown up into Jesus Christ. And the work of ministry will continue until the goals for the church and her people are fully realized when Christ returns. So there's this wonderful eschatological tension. You know, that's a big fancy word for end times, end things, when Christ returns. There's this tension like we're already in Christ, but we're not yet fully grown up into Christ. Unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son to maturity. We want to be mature. We want to have the standard of Christ. We want to be measured up into his stature. We want to be portraying Christ's likeness to the world. That's, that's what's working in us as we strengthen one another, as we grow together. We're measured by the maturity of Jesus. That's the stature. That's the standard. That's the standard of all our ministry endeavors. We want you to look more and more like Jesus, to be conformed to his image. Because it's in that place that you're going to find joy. And it's in that place that you're going to be useful in the kingdom of God. Paul provides a contrast in verse 14. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The contrast is maturity versus immaturity. Notice the depth of the contrast. In Christ, we reach maturity. It's one body. We are one together in Christ Jesus. But immaturity is like children, individuals. Immaturity is marked by individualism, whereas a singular person, an organism made up of all of us, united in Jesus Christ, is 
one body, whereas the expression of children indicates multiple. The contrast is one body versus multiple children, singular versus plural. And immaturity is marked by selfishness, instability, lack of direction, easily guided astray or manipulated. Further contrast, immaturity leads to succumbing to every wind of doctrine. Rather than, rather than being united in faith and knowledge rooted in Jesus Christ, false doctrines cause disunity. And the goal of disunity is the goal of our enemies. Our enemies want us to crave and maintain our selfish desires and ambitions, our selfish goals, rather than attaining to Christian fellowship and service. The Bible's description of these winds of false doctrine is that they are from human cunning, from craftiness. Cunning is the same word that really um, talks about a dice-playing game. And it's usually those dice-playing games that rob you blind because they don't provide what you're looking for. It's that kind of craftiness. It's that kind of trickery. It's a serpentine trickery that is man-centered, feel-good, consumeristic. The ministers sent by God to build out the body are given to protect the doctrines of the church and teach them to you so that you might not fall prey to this type of cunning. A cunning that can make one believe that the church is a place to be served rather than to serve. We will not provide consumeristic programs at this church. We don't want to provide man-centeredness at this church. We want you to have joy in Christ Jesus because when you take too long to look at yourself, you feel empty, right? You need something to replace what you strive for, and that is Jesus. We'll not provide those kinds of programs. We want you to focus on Jesus. We want you to focus on Jesus. For he himself said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Rather, we're supposed to be what verse 15 talks about. Verse 15, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Rather than being immature and susceptible to winds of false doctrine, we want to grow up, we want to speak the truth in love, growing together, we grow together by speaking the truth in love. But the idea is not just about utterance. It's not just about speaking. The Greek word that Paul uses here, it not, it not only means speak the truth, but can also carry the sense of this, the sense of living the truth, cherishing the truth, being devoted to the truth, doing the truth, confessing, professing the truth. The idea within the context is this idea of confession. God's people are a people who confess the truth, and it's confessed by what they say and how they live. Because that's the fragrance and aroma that God has used to call people to himself. His people, who's his people who have the gospel. God's people are people who confess the truth. The content of our confession is the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. That's what he said in Ephesians 1.13. R.C. Sproul writes this, It is the task of Christians to be a people of the truth. They are called to search the truth, to understand the truth, to communicate the truth, but it's not simply abstract propositional utterance that they are to make. They are to hold the truth that is precious to them in love. People are around you and they have a sense of Jesus because you're a confessional person. That's the idea. 
Speaking the truth in love causes the church to grow up. We go from immaturity to maturity. Growing up in the Christ, the work of ministry strengthens us to be confessional people, people of the truth, and become more and more like Christ together. And when we're like Christ together, this is what happens. We grow up into him who is the head at the end of verse 15, from whom the whole body, 16, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right? There's this idea that we're, we're equipped, we're connected. And when, that's conne- when that connection is working properly, we grow up together. And when that connection is working properly, the body works together and it makes much of Jesus. And you're strengthened and the church is strengthened and the gospel is proclaimed. That's good news, isn't it? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to know how? Don't you want to know how to get there? The goal of, is what God has in mind for us, this goal. And it's why we need to equip you for the work of ministry. You need to be equipped and trained in the word of God so that you can participate in the building up of the body of Christ. So with an exposition of God's intent from the church in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, let's use the remainder of our time to consider the following questions. What does an every member ministry of the word look like at Redeemer Bible Church? And why am I connecting it to counsel and care? I'm going to start with the second one first, just to mess with your minds. I'm connecting the phrase, the work of ministry with counsel and care. It's the, of the utmost importance to remember that the word of God establishes itself as the truth and what you need. Right? The Bible is the authoritative God-breathed word, as we heard from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But it's also sufficient to provide us with all that we need to know in order to come to a knowledge of salvation, as well as know how to live a life pleasing to God. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature having to escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, leave this up here for a minute. Look what it says, right? His divine power has granted to us what? All things. Not some things, not a couple of things. All things, right? All things that pertain to life and godliness. What you need to know for your life and how to be godly. And he's done that through the knowledge of him, the knowledge of Jesus, who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through the knowledge of Jesus, and where do we find the knowledge of Jesus? Say it. The Bible, right? So we find the knowledge of Jesus in the Bible by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that, all this so that, through them, through the knowledge of the Son, through the promises that he said about the Messiah coming and your reconciliation to God through Christ, through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What's the divine? It's, it's, it's Christ-likeness, right? 
You see that? You see that? Isn't that amazing? He's saying that he has given us the things we need for life and godliness, all of it. And so how do we connect the ministry of the word to, to counsel and care? Well, here's, here's the idea. We apply the authoritative and sufficient word to the lives of people through discipleship. Disciple makers are counselors. Counseling is discipleship. Now, you can counsel people in all sorts of ways. You can counsel them that the team they need to like is Notre Dame football, and they can believe you or not. You could counsel them to say, hey, you know what? Life is all about you. You do what you need to do and run over anybody that gets in your way. You can counsel somebody to say, no, what you need to do is you need to take these two pills and you're going to feel so much better. Now, they might help you feel better, but is it changing, is it changing your heart? Is it changing the reality and the hope that you need? Here's the idea. Counseling that's discipleship in Christ Jesus is we are sinners in need of salvation. And God has sent his spirit to be and take residence in us so that we might live the life we're called to live in faith so that we might be a confessional people that lives a life of repentance, turning to Christ, and a life of faith, trusting in Christ for his promises. For anyone entangled in a sin struggle, where is their hope? Where's their hope? Is it, is it not that God has sent his son to rescue them from sin, to save them, and enable them to live by the Spirit's power, a life of repentance and faith? Titus 2, 11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, listen, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. God wants to make you a purified people, right? And he says, look, look at my children. Look how they serve. Look how they love. Look how they proclaim my glory. This training the Bible speaks of in the book of Titus is discipleship. And it is counseling too, right? As believers, we must be counseled and taught the truth so that we can recognize ungodliness and worldly passions in ourselves and others, and we must be counseled how to live a life pleasing to God. I need that counsel. I need you to counsel me how to do that. And I want to do that for you. And this all flows out of our hope in Jesus Christ. The Bible expects us to be serving one another and strengthening one another in the faith through love. It expects that of us. This is the confession undergirding in Ephesians 4. The work of the ministry the people of the church are involved in is a ministry of love that helps care for one another, truly loves one another, cares for one another. It's a ministry of love to one another. And love is this hallmark of the Christian faith, right? Jesus, what did he say to his disciples? What did he say to us? He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. How has he loved you? He sacrificially 
Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, what? Your love for everybody, your love for one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And further, the Bible expects the church community to be a community of care and counsel. In Romans 15, 14, Paul wrote to the church this. He said, I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. He said the church has the ability to instruct one another. The Bible over and over demonstrates that disciple-making, which involves counsel and care, is the responsibility of every believer. You are called, you, everybody put their eyes on me, you are called to the ministry of counsel and care. Now let's turn to the first question, okay? If you don't remember, here's what it was. What does a ministry, an every member ministry of the word, look like at Redeemer Bible Church? I'm really, really glad you asked that. If you were here last Sunday evening, we unveiled the vision for Redeemer God's placed on our hearts. We want our people to be what? Bible-saturated people. We want, we want people to squeeze you, and guess what? You ooze Bible. You ooze the, the loving words and the promises of Christ in the scriptures. That's what we want to happen. We want you to be Bible-saturated people. We want to help you grow together in order to build up the body of believers so that Jesus Christ can be exalted among us. And so every ministry of our church, from preschool to adult, is going to be focused on equipping all of you to know the story of the Bible and how to minister the Bible really, really well. That's what we want to do. And we need you all. We need all of you to be involved because you're all called to the work of ministry and because the work of ministry requires all of us, we, we don't want to, I'm not interested. You know, we're not interested in being a church where a couple of pastors do the counseling. I love counseling. I love relational ministry because I, I feel um, like that's my sweet spot in life. That's what God has uniquely placed me in. What I love more than that is training other people how to do it. To how to be relational and wise and helpful in the word of God. That's what I want to help you do. That's what we want to do for you. We, we don't want to be a church that has a counseling ministry or a care ministry just as part of it. We want to be a, a church where the ministry of that church is counsel and care in totality. So that in our preschool, our children are counseled about the truths of Jesus and taught how to live for them in our Redeemer Kids ministry, that our kids are shown how to, how to recognize ungodliness and how to repent of that, how to turn in faith to Jesus Christ, where our adults know the story of the scripture and they can be gospel witnesses to the ends of the earth, where our community group leaders know how to wisely listen and care and ask the right appropriate questions to get to the heart of what's going on in a person's life so they can point out where they need to turn and trust Jesus or where they need to cut off that sin where they need to remember that Christ Jesus has a finished work for us. We want you to be filled. We want this church to be filled with people who know how to minister the word really wisely and lovingly. How many of us this year have struggled? 
How many of you have struggled this year? Or how many of you known brothers and sisters among you who have struggled? And some of you feel like you don't know what to say or, or do in those moments when someone in community group shares a sin struggle or, or how they may be suffering. The wonderful thing is, is that you have everything you need to say. You have everything he has said. And we want to show you how to apply it wisely and lovingly so that the church might be built up. Does that sound pretty cool? How many of you want that? Raise your hand. Okay. I saw that. And so did a lot of other people sitting around you. We want you to know the word of God. We want you to know the word of God so well that you can come alongside a brother or sister who is anxious and fearful, and you can speak to them the truth by pointing them to the Prince of Peace, Jesus. We want you to to be able to comfort those who are suffering because you know the God of all comfort and what the God of all comfort says. We want you to know how to walk with other couples who need to see the beautiful truth about marriage, how it's a picture of Christ in the church. We want you to be working in their lives to point them to our Savior who has said that a marriage looks like this. It looks like me and my bride, the church. We want you to be able to help and assure those who who doubt their salvation or those who are overwhelmed and just want to give up. We want you to you help, help you know how to bring hope to depressed and discouraged people by speaking the truth of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. We want you to be a people who hold each other's arms up. Because life in a broken world is what? It's hard. The nitty-grittiness of the human condition reveals so much suffering and sin And God says that I've appointed the church to be the help for those people so that they might be my people. We want you to be faithful ministers of the word of God, pointing one another to Jesus so that we, so that we, together, we can be exactly what God put us here in Minnetonka, Minnesota to be. And that is God's people the church of the risen Christ. So here's one way we're going to do this. Starting this fall, we'll be begin providing a class every other Sunday night for those of you who want to be helped and equipped to know how to counsel and minister the word of God effectively to people, to have that kind of relational ministry. Um, we want you uh, to be equipped. Um, think of it as training and discipleship care. We want to train you in how to care and disciple people um, so that you can be competent and confident in the Word of God and your, your ability. The Spirit's given you the ability. He's called you to this ministry. From Ephesians, we saw how God gave leaders to the church, and the, the leaders were given to the church to equip the church. Right? And that's what we want to do for you. We want to equip you because God has done something amazing, has he not? He's reconciled sinners like me and you to himself. And then he takes those sinners, right, and those sufferers, and he calls them saints. No longer covered and cloaked in shame, but covered with the glory of Christ Jesus. Saints, called out ones, 
saints, people who bring the aroma of Christ, the Christ whose body was broken and his blood was shed so that we might have life and have it abundantly. I invite you, brothers and sisters, to be these ministers. If you're interested in this, you can talk to me afterwards. We'll talk a little bit about it. But I expect that those of you who raised your hands will do everything you can to be doing the work of ministry, to be serving in children's, to come to the classes so you know how to be equipped, to, to hold babies, right? to take meals, to give wise counsel when people are struggling and suffering because that's what your pastors want for you. Let's pray.